Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Psalm 112. Well, we're in Psalm 112 this morning. Uh, this summer we've been taking uh, one psalm at a time and just kind of jumping around to different psalms. And this morning we're in Psalm 112. And uh, since we've already read the psalm, we've heard it read, let me pray. And then uh, we'll dive into the text together. So if you've got your Bible, you've got an app, whatever you've got, go ahead and open up to Psalm 112 and I'll pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and thanks for your grace through him. Uh, Lord, I pray that and it's become a little bit of just a rote thing that I do, but it's to remind me of, of your grace and to remind me that the greatest thing I have to be thankful for, Jesus, is you. This morning, I pray that as we study your word and... Uh, as we dive into uh, one of your psalms, that you teach us that, to teach us to, uh, to treasure Jesus and his word above all things, uh, to turn our eyes and our focus and our attention toward him, and then let the spirit work out those details into our life. Father, we love you. We thank you for those things. And uh, Holy Spirit, thank you that you choose to use me. I pray you would again today, that you'd speak to and through me as I teach. And uh, we pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He, 
He doesn't desire for us to change by the power of your word, but he desires to accuse us and to tempt us and, uh, and distract us. So this morning, help us give our full thought and attention to your word. And may we leave changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 112. Well, Psalm 112, if you could see it in the Hebrew, what you would find out is that Psalm 112 is what's known as an acrostic psalm. Or you might call it an ABC psalm. In other words, in the Hebrew, when it was originally written, it starts off first, it says, Hallelujah, which in your text, it means praise the Lord, but that's the Hebrew word, Hallelujah. And then every line after that, uh, it's a type of poetry in Hebrew where every line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So imagine if you sat down this afternoon and you wrote a poem or a psalm about God, but first you wrote the alphabet down the left-hand column of your paper, and then each line you wrote, uh, you started with that letter. That's what Psalm 112 is. And in fact, Psalm 111, uh, which Dr. Rock is going to be preaching in a few weeks, uh, is kind of a twin brother to this psalm, and it's also an acrostic. And, and Psalm 111 talks about the glory of God, and then Psalm 112 talks about how that's lived out in our lives and what it looks like for somebody who's really delighted in this God. In fact, look how it starts. Praise the Lord, or hallelujah, maybe even your English translation might say. But then it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. First off, praise the Lord. This is a psalm of praise. And, and everything that follows points to the praise of God and to his credit, not ours. And ultimately, what I want to throw out to you is that this whole psalm is describing a man or a woman who is like Jesus. A man or a woman who's like Jesus. That's what, that's what the psalmist is describing. See, first he says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear him? Does it mean I'm afraid? Well, if you haven't repented, you should be. But it means fear in terms of respect, understanding his power, understanding who he is. But let me ask you, in one sense, one way to think about it, whose opinion do you fear the most? Is it a person's or is it God's? Well, then I can tell you who you fear more, that person or God. You should fear and honor and respect the Lord. Blessed is the man and the woman who does this who greatly delights in his commandments. How do I delight in things? This reminds me of Psalm 1. Do you remember Psalm 1? When we studied at the very beginning of this series, early in June, and and Psalm 1 begins, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in what? Do you remember? The law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He delights in the law. What does it mean to delight? I shared with you that morning some things I delight in. Some of you laughed at me and made fun of me, and that's okay. But, you know, I, I said I, I delight in, in a lot of things. The one thing that I missed that morning, so I'm going to make it up today, is to delight in my wife. There, I, I got it. But it's, it's true, though. I love Hannah, and I love her with all my heart, and I'm thankful for her and Charlie. But what do you delight in, and how do you show that? Well, sometimes you give your money towards it. You give your time towards it. You give your attention towards it. What do you delight in? If I could see your calendar and your checkbook, I could probably tell you 
or maybe the, the stuff that's saved on your phone or the, the channels that are marked as favorite on your television. I could tell you what it is you delight in. And you could tell me what it is I delight in. But, but this psalm tells us that blessed is the man who delights in the Lord, who delights in his commandments. And not only delights, but greatly delights. See, the thing to keep in mind is that God's created you to delight in things. He, he made you that way. He created you that way. The reason you love certain things is because God put in you a hunger for something. And ultimately, it's a hunger for someone. It's for himself. And every delight you have is ultimately, it's a shadow, a thirst for a delight for God. The Westminster Confession, I had shared this with you in June, uh, says that the chief end of man, the chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. To enjoy him. Do you enjoy God And you know, John Piper is a pastor who kind of modified it. So the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That God gets glory when we simply rest in him and delight, greatly delight in his word and in his commands. And this this is kind of the overarching theme of the whole psalm is this. The one who fears and delights in God is blessed. Do you fear and delight in God? Do you? If you do, your life is blessed. Well, blessed how? In a handful of ways. All of this, you got to see all of this as we go through. I'm going to show you four different ways here in the psalm. We could probably pull out more, but four for sure. But it all starts with fearing God and delighting in him. Notice it doesn't say blessed is the man who tries harder to get it right. Blessed is the man who goes to church every Sunday and never misses and gets all the gold stars for perfect attendance. It doesn't say blessed is the man. It doesn't say any of those things. It says blessed, first off, is the man, right, who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commandments. Some of you, you need to quit trying so hard because that's called religion. And you need to rest and just love the Lord Jesus and let the Holy Spirit work these things out in your life. And I promise you, he will as you delight in his word. Mary and Martha earlier, where's your focus? Turn it toward Jesus. Now, God does delight in your good deeds. I'm not saying that those things don't matter, but I'm saying it all starts with you delighting in him. And then those good deeds flow out of that. So let's look at four blessings listed in this psalm for those who who fear God and greatly, greatly delight in him and his commandments. Here's the first thing I want you to see. We're going to see it right in verse 2, is you leave a family heritage. Now, some of you, maybe you guys are in high school, you're like, oh, wow, that's exciting, motivating for me, a family heritage, right? Well, listen to these words, because I I think it will be encouraging to you and exciting for you when you really think about what the Holy Spirit could do through you. Look at verse 2. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, it says, verse 3. And there's two ways that I believe you leave a family heritage in your life walking with the Lord. First off is just simple, your biological family. First is your biological family. See, look, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. And wealth and riches are in his house. See, when you, mom and dad, when you choose to honor God, your whole family benefits. Your whole family benefits. Grandma and grandpa, when you choose to honor God, your whole family beneath you benefits from that. 
You're like, yeah, but they're not walking with the Lord. I know, but, but you are, so keep walking with them and pray for the Holy Spirit to work in their life so that they would too. When you delight in the Lord, when you greatly delight in his commandments, your entire family benefits. And likewise, when you rebel, when you turn from the Lord, your whole family after you suffers the consequences. When I mess up, my whole family bears the consequences. Will you delight in the Lord? But let me give you some examples of these two different sides of either I love God and my whole family is blessed or I rebel against God and my whole family is cursed. I'm going to give you two examples. First is from the life of Jonathan Edwards. Have you ever heard of him? You ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards is probably uh, the greatest theologian ever born in the United States of America. The greatest in North America, for that matter. He, he was an incredibly great theologian and pastor. And he's a guy who, who wrote a lot about having affections for God, delighting in God. And when he was young, when he got married, uh, let's see, I wrote her name down. He, wrote, uh, he married a young woman named Sarah. And when they were married, on the night they were married, one of the things they did is they committed uh, their whole life and their family and their legacy to the Lord. Well, about 100 years ago, there was an um, uh, anthropologist, I don't know if that's the right word, but a guy who studies genealogies and all that stuff, right? And, and he traced a couple different families back, and one of them was Jonathan Edwards. And he wanted to see Jonathan Edwards, who was born, I think, in 1703, what his family legacy turned out to be like. Are you curious? A guy who committed his life to the Lord, who feared the Lord, he and his wife. Let me tell you about this. As of, as of 1900, uh, first off, let's look at his life. Jonathan Edwards, he entered Yale College at 13 years old, and he graduated with honors. You guys are excited to be out of high school. Like, he's done with Yale at this point. At the end of his life, he became the principal of Princeton University. He married his wife, Sarah. They committed their heart to the Lord, and, and their descendants... Remember, what's the psalm say? that oh, I'll make your descendants great and mighty in the land. They include a U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 federal judges, 30 professors, eight public office, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries and pastors in their family. That was all over the course of not quite 200 years at the time that was calculated. He was born in 1703. Well, this same guy who researched this also looked at a guy by the name of Max Jukes. Max Jukes. And Max was the exact opposite of Jonathan Edwards, but he was also born in the early 1700s. And, and Max, that they came across this guy in the late 1800s while studying uh, New York's prison system. And they found that 42 different last names all descended from this one guy, Max Jukes. He was born, uh, I have it written here, 1720. He was a hard drinker. He was idle. He was irreverent. He was uneducated. His descendants included uh, 310 paupers, in other words, beggars, who combined uh, spent 2,300 years in poorhouses, 50 women uh, who were prostitutes, 400 physically wrecked by indulgent living, 7 murderers, 60 thieves, and 130 other convicts. The Duke's descendants apparently cost the state of New York more than $1.25 million. 
See, blessed is the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commandments. And his family will be great and mighty in the land. But the opposite's true, too. If you don't delight in God, it affects your family for generations. Now, are there exceptions on both sides? Probably. But, but the greater theme is, how are, how are you going to live your life to honor the Lord? You're, you're the only life you can control. And when you, when you honor the Lord and greatly delight in him, he blesses you. And one of the things he does is he gives you a family heritage. Your offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright, your generation, will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Now that line, his righteousness endures forever, tells me there's another way you leave a family heritage, and that's your spiritual family. It's your spiritual family. But how does it endure forever? Well, it happens in two ways. First off, your righteousness will endure forever in and through Jesus Christ when you spend eternity with him. Because it's God's righteousness and God is eternal. In fact, this same verse comes up in 111 verse 3 where it describes God's righteousness as enduring forever. Where God's righteousness endures forever. And it's applied to God there, but it's applied to men here and also in, in Second Peter. Peter writes, he says, uh, he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, you may become like him, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. So on earth, you need to know, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's going to endure forever in heaven because of Jesus, but also on earth through your spiritual kids and grandkids. See, some of you heard me talk about a family heritage earlier, and you got really discouraged because oh, we, we don't have kids, or I'm not married, or I, I don't know how that's going to happen for me. Well, the church is a family, and God's given you uh, spiritual kids, spiritual grandkids, that you can leave an incredible legacy through. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, you can count all the apples on the tree, but who can count the apples in the seed? Let me say that again. Track with me, right? You can count all the apples on the tree, right? There's a tree. I can count the apples. One, two, three, four, 25, whatever it is. But can you tell me from one seed, from one of those apples, how many apples that seed will produce? You can't, can you? You have no idea. Because it'll produce a tree with more fruit, and then each of, those, uh, each of those apples may produce a tree with more fruit, and each of those trees with more fruit, and it just it explodes exponentially, doesn't it? You can count all the apples in the tree, but you can't count all the apples in the seed. Well, with that in mind, I want to ask you a question. Do you know who this guy is on the screen? you recognize him? Somebody tell me, who is that? Billy Graham. Billy Graham is probably one of the greatest evangelists to ever live uh, in, in history and certainly in our lifetime. As of 2008, so as of eight years ago, when you include all of his radio and television broadcasts, all of his crusades, all the times it's been rebroadcast, do you know that his lifetime audience is 2.2 billion with a B people? That's how many people have heard the gospel through that man's mouth. That's crazy, isn't it? And you know who he is because you've seen him on TV. Maybe some of you even came to faith because of some of his ministry. I don't know. You're one of his spiritual kids if you did. But, but think about it. Have you ever thought um, about the fact that his salvation goes back to a Sunday school teacher years and years and years ago? Did you know that? Do you know that Sunday school teacher's name? Anybody know? Here, I'll share it with you. His name was Edward Kimball. He was a volunteer Sunday school teacher long before Billy Graham was even born. 
Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. You're like, well, how did he influence Billy Graham? Well, let me tell you. You've, most people have never heard of him. And if you haven't, you're not unique. But he was a Sunday school teacher who prayed often for the rowdy boys in his town. Some of you are like, yeah, well, I, I serve in Wawasee Kids and I pray for those boys all the time. <laughs> well, you, you might end up like Edward Kimball having a great spiritual legacy. Here's what he did. He prayed for these kids and he sought to win every one of them to the Lord. And whenever he felt like giving up, if ever he felt like giving up, he never talked about it. And if you've ever taught the Bible, like I said to young boys, you know there's days you're ready to give up. It's like herding cats. Well, there was young man in, one young man in particular who really caught his attention and caught his heart. And, and this kid was, was very uneducated, uh, could barely read or write, uh, spoke poorly. And his name was Dwight Lyman Moody. And uh, Dwight Moody came to faith, received Jesus Christ because of being invited by this man to his Sunday school. And in fact, what had happened is Kimball went and found Moody stocking shelves at the, shoe st- or at the store he was working at and confronted him. And then Moody knelt on his knees and prayed to receive Christ. Well, Moody in the stock room that Saturday, he received Jesus as a savior. And in his lifetime, uh, he actually touched two different continents for the Lord with untold thousands coming to faith in Jesus Christ through him. In fact, I went to Moody's school in Chicago. So did Rock. I went to his school. He started his own Sunday school in Chicago then after moving out from Massachusetts and never charged tuition. Students, you looking to go into ministry? Check out Moody. Your parents just heard no tuition? That's true. They've never charged tuition in over 125 years. You pay room and board, live in downtown Chicago, but his legacy is actually affecting you. So now think about this. Here's Moody. Well, under Moody, he was an evangelist. He was the Billy Graham of his day over 100 years ago. There was another man's heart by the name of Wilbur Chapman who came to faith in Christ. And Chapman became an evangelist who preached to thousands. And one day at one of his rallies, a professional baseball player came to one of his rallies, a guy by the name of Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday heard the gospel through him. And Billy Sunday came to Christ. Well, Billy Sunday then went on and began to preach preached his own rallies and began his own evangelistic crusades, even just right down the road in Winona Lake. And at one of his crusades, a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham was influenced to eventually trust the Lord Jesus. Well, Mordecai Ham then is a unique guy in himself. When students decided to go interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided to go see what would happen. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and was converted. And he eventually became known as Billy Graham, his full name. And he went on and preached to 2.2 billion with a B people. All of that traces back to a guy you'd never heard of before today named Edward Kimball. (laughs) Now there's some debate on on the the legitimacy of this whole progression and whether that's really true or not. But I believe it is. And whether it is or not, it still demonstrates for us the impact of your spiritual legacy. See, one of the things, if you learn to delight in the Lord, fear the Lord, and delight greatly in his commandments, you will leave a spiritual legacy. You'll leave a family heritage, not just in your biological family, but your spiritual family. And you'll have many, many 
kids and grandkids and great-great-grandkids who come to faith because of your legacy. Are you willing to delight in the Lord? You'll be blessed if you do. Your offspring will be great and mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in your house, and your righteousness will endure forever. Well, verse 4 gives us a second blessing. You'll receive God's favor and his guidance. You'll receive God's favor and guidance. See, verse 4 says, the psalmist writes, Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He's gracious and merciful and righteous. By the way, just back to that last point. So if you're ever serving and you're wondering, like, does this really matter? Does this count? I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I, I clean up, puke, and change diapers all day long. That's all I do. Does that matter? It, it matters a lot. If you're faithful, you have no idea how God might use that in the future. You're like, I teach Sunday school. I, I help with the kids' ministry. I, I serve in this way or that way. And it just seems like nobody ever, I mean, like they get it this week, but then it's like six months before there's any sign of hope again. It matters. Pray, be faithful, delight in the Lord. You have no idea what he may do through you. But you'll receive his favor and guidance. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He's gracious, merciful, and righteous. There's two ways to understand this verse. The first is that while the wicked live in darkness, the righteous live in light. There's good evidence for that. In Isaiah 60, uh, Isaiah writes, Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise on you and his glory will be seen upon you. So there's one sense in which if you've trusted Jesus, you are light in a dark place. But there's also, I think, a sense this could be understood in the fact that even though you go through darkness and hard times, the Lord dawns light onto the upright, right? He'll give you light. He'll give you favor and guidance. Is life hard right now? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's been a great week. Maybe it's been an incredibly hard week, month, year, decade. But you need to know that this, if you've trusted Jesus, this promise is true for you, that light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. Well, first, that's a description of God, his grace and mercy and righteousness. It actually goes back to Exodus. Remember the song we sang earlier? Show us, show us your glory. And Moses is begging in Exodus to see God, to see his glory. When Exodus 34, it actually happens, and the Lord passed before him, and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, this is Exodus 34, 6, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's gracious and merciful and righteous. Here it's saying a light will dine in the dark or dawn in the darkness for those who trust the Lord, and they'll be gracious and merciful and righteous. They'll be like God. Gracious. Well, let's define these terms quickly. What's graciousness? Well, grace, if grace is uh, getting what I don't deserve, then being gracious is being a gracious man, a gracious woman is when I give to people what they don't deserve. When I'm kind and I'm gracious with my words and with my giving and with all those things. Well, if, and if mercy is the flip side of that, when I don't get what I do deserve, then being a merciful woman or a merciful man is when I don't give to somebody what they deserve. I don't give them a piece of my mind, even though they could benefit from it. <laughs> I don't give them what they deserve. I'm merciful and I'm kind. 
like the Lord is towards me. And then righteous, that's simply being like God. That just sums it up. Righteousness is rightness. So you leave a family heritage, you receive favor, uh, and uh, you got favor and guidance. And then number three, you become another blessing. You become generous and compassionate. Look at verse five. It's well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Again, he's being like Jesus. Because what did Jesus do? He gave everything he had. He gave his life. When you delight in the Lord, you become a generous man. You become a generous woman. And when you become generous, that's an act of the spirit in your heart. Because I don't know about you, but, but by nature, I'm very selfish. Like the birds on Finding Nemo, right? Mine, 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 mine. I just want it all. But when the Holy Spirit works in my heart... My heart softens because of the grace of Jesus, and I become generous. I become compassionate. And generosity isn't something that I just step up and do. It's a work of the Spirit in your heart. And the most generous people I know are usually the people who most greatly delight in the Lord. And generosity isn't just a financial thing, although that's a big piece of it. It's also your time. Are you generous with your time, with your talent? Are you a generous man or woman? See, you become generous. It's, it's well with the man who deals generously and lends. He's being like Jesus, who, who conducts his affairs with justice. Well, justice is simply doing right according to God's commands. It's doing right according to what God has laid out. And that only happens as I greatly delight in his commands, and then I want to obey those commands, and I do what's right. I, I live a life of justice. See, look, it says he lends, he deals generously and lends. You know what God says? He says he'll be a debtor to no man. And when you give generously and you lend to him, he's never going to let you go unpaid back. Now, that's not a prosperity gospel where it's like, you know, write a check today for $500 and you'll go home and you're, you'll get a letter in the mail tomorrow that your mortgage was paid off. Like, it's not like that. That's nonsense. The Bible doesn't talk about that. But what God does say is, listen, as you give generously of your time, talent, treasure... I'm not going to be in debt to you. (laughs) I'm going to give all of that back to you and more in terms of your joy, in terms of your confidence, in terms of all of those things. When you delight in the Lord, he makes you generous and he makes you compassionate. Let's skip down to verse 9. He is distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. There it is again. His horn is exalted in honor. When you distribute freely, when you give to the poor, when you give of your time, talent, treasure, your righteousness endures because you start building that spiritual heritage, that spiritual family. And it outlives you. You know what's incredible to me is to think that I can live my life on this earth and if I live it honoring God, when I die and get put in the ground... I could still be accumulating fruit for the day that Jesus comes to, to raise me up. How? Well, because my righteousness will endure. My legacy will outlive my earthly life. If I honor the Lord and chase after him and delight in him. Make me compassionate and generous. Paul actually quotes this verse when he's writing to the Corinthians, his second letter in chapter 9, about, about their generosity. He says in verse 9, he's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, and he encourages them to give. 
But this is descriptive of God as well. He's distributed freely. In other words, God's grace is for everyone. All people matter. It's a value of our church. Everyone matters. God's grace is for everyone. He's given to the poor. We're all poor. God's grace is for us. He has a heart for the poor and downtrodden. Do you? If you delight in his law and delight greatly in his commandments, I'm telling you, you will. And his horn is exalted in honor. That's a strange one, isn't it? Because we don't use that type of language. But really what it is, his horn is simply his crown, his dignity, his strength. He's honored before men because of his generosity and compassion. And what I would say to you, if you look back again at verse 3, that the wealth and riches are in his house, God's blessing of prosperity to you and your family, if you're really delighting in the Lord, usually leads to greater and greater generosity and greater and greater blessing. I've heard it said you can't outgive God. <laughs> your time, talent, you can't outgive him. He gives it back. And it's true. And then finally, number four, your heart and faith becomes steadfast. Skip back up to verse six. For the righteous will never be moved. He'll be remembered forever. Why? Well, because of his spiritual legacy. Look at verse seven. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. I really like that. He's not afraid of bad news. You know what that sounds like to me? Um... He's not worried. He doesn't let himself be consumed with worry. Do you find yourself afraid of bad news? Do you? It affects me. I find myself afraid of bad news. Some, some, some ways that sometimes this happens is I'll hear somebody as a pastor, I'll hear them come to me and they're like, you know what I'm hearing? Everybody is telling me they just don't like, uh, they didn't like that message or they didn't like the way that thing is going or they don't like the direction we're going here. And I'm like, really? And I get afraid of bad news. Really? You know what I've learned to do though? I, I, I found out that really that fear of bad news is ultimately not a fear of God like we're commanded in verse one, but it's a fear of men. Because what I'll find out when I ask them, well, who's everyone? I don't know, but everybody I've been talking, okay, but can you give me some names? Yeah, like all of them, they're just, they're not, yeah, but tell me who. And you find out it's either them or it's like two or three people. And then you find out, you know what? Wow, that's really foolish of me. You know what Proverbs says? It says the fear of man is a snare and a trap. And the fear of man is is fearing man more than I fear God. But blessed is the man who fears the Lord and delights greatly in his commands. And when I find out that all these people are are saying, oh, all this thing's bad. And I find out, oh, it's only three in a church of, you know, 300, 350 people. (laughs) That'd be really foolish of me to worry about. I mean, not that I don't care about those three, right? Hear that. But to worry simply about their opinion at the expense of the whole church, wouldn't that be foolish? And I go around and I'm fearful and it's laid a snare for me because, oh, maybe it's them. Maybe it's them. Maybe it's you. Maybe, maybe it was you. Are you, you the one? Who, who is it that's upset? But as I learned to fear the Lord, here's why I give you that example. Because verse one says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And for me, Josh, when I learned to fear the Lord the most, then the fear of man is not a snare to me because I fear God more. I fear him more. And so I'm not afraid of bad news. 
And if bad news comes, whether it's an opinion or it's just something terrible that happened, I don't need to be afraid because my greatest fear is the Lord and I'm trusting him. See, the Lord blesses those. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. He becomes steadfast. His heart and his faith become steadfast. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And when we don't have that type of faith, when we don't fear the Lord, it hinders our faith and it hinders everyone else's faith and hinders us from stepping out in faith. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks on triumph on his adversaries. And all of that, again, is because of Jesus. Verse 9, he's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. But look at verse 10. He leaves one contrast for us as we close. He says, but the wicked man sees it. He sees all of these blessings. And the wicked man, instead of repenting and turning to fear the Lord, you know what the wicked man does? He gets angry. He gets angry. He doesn't repent like he ought to and enjoy the same blessings. Instead, he gets angry. He gnashes his teeth and he melts away. Jesus uses that same phrase for eternity in hell. There'll be gnashing of teeth and weeping. And until you learn to fear the Lord first and ultimately give your life to Jesus and delight in him, you can try to do this whole list of things and live it out, but ultimately that list of things is really a blessing that God gives you to live out after you've trusted his son. And your identity is lived out from your faith. The wicked man sees it and gets angry. He tries to do all these things and he gets angry and he gnashes his teeth and he melts away and I'm just angry, I don't... It's because he hasn't feared the Lord. He hasn't trusted Jesus. And Jesus changes your heart, and that allows you to live these things out through the power of the Spirit. For the desire of the wicked will perish. So with that in mind, as we close, let me just commend to you. If you haven't trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, why not? Why not? I mean, really, what's the holdup? Are you just angry at God or or at his people? You need to know he loves you. He died for you. And if you would repent and and turn in faith from your sin to Jesus and fear God, fear him most, delight in his law, you'll be blessed. And all these things will begin to happen in your life. They'll, They'll just start to grow. For those of you, you've trusted Christ. Are you really fearing God above men? I'm talking to myself now. I should get the iPad back out and turn it on myself. Are you really fearing God before men? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commandments. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. And uh, Lord, thanks that you, uh, you offer us hope and blessing as we delight and, and fear you above all things and above all people. Uh, this morning now as we... Uh, Take communion. I pray uh, even as we sing, you'd uh, uh, search our hearts and uh, find out, are are we fearing you most? Have we turned to you in faith? Let us repent where we need to. And then uh, enjoy communion together as a family, remembering your grace to us through Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.